0: Hello everyone, here is Daniel Abudai with a new episode of the Ecom Show and today I'm here with the founder of Neb Leather from Toronto, Canada. I'm excited to have him here today because uh, he's not the first uh, founder of a leather company here. I think if I count it well, then you are the fourth person. So uh, now oh. I already have some experience in this very interesting niche. We will talk about the product, how this brand stands out, also uh, their marketing efforts, how they do things. So very exciting conversation. How are you today, Neb? Good to have you here. Doing well. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I'm a little bit surprised that you had a couple
1: other leather brands before us, but you know, it's good to know that you have some experience with this niche.
0: Yeah, and I think uh, you are not the first Canadian leather brand, actually. Uh, no. <laughs> we already had one, uh, but now we are close to 200 episodes. So, uh, yeah, we had a few shots to interview leather companies. So let's start with the early days. And I'm really curious, when did you start this brand? If this is your first business and, uh, and why the leather industry?
1: yeah so uh we've been around leather a long time me and my brother uh our parents had a a leather goods company but they focused more on import and so you know they they had uh they would import leather goods and they'd sell them at flea markets and then around that time we we were young we were in high school we started making our own belts and selling them at flea markets um, and we found that was, was a pretty good response. We found even at that time, people really cared for Canadian-made goods rather than imported goods, which, which is what my parents were doing. Uh, so that's kind of how we got started. Um, then, you know, as the pandemic hit, everything closed down and we were forced to go online. So in that sense, the pandemic has
0: been a bit of a blessing. Yeah, just like for many e-commerce companies, I think, um, so also it's very interesting you mentioned that Canadians they care about local uh, local products right um, yes. because it would be a long conversation that some countries they care more others they care less about this thing yes how, what do you think how have this changed over the years uh, is it yeah. uh, a great yeah. question. So
1: Americans, I think they care the most. They're super patriotic. They care about made in USA. But we're seeing that a lot now in Canada, too, um, especially in, in more rural areas. But uh, after the pandemic, you know, there was such a, a heavy reliance on import. There were supply chain issues everywhere. Canadians were not getting goods they needed. So I think that definitely shifted people's thinking and mindset that, no, we really need locally made goods we can't be so reliant on other countries and import
0: yeah yeah interesting so i think we can call it a family business would you call it a family business because of your parents yep exactly so when did you bring this uh, business online in 2020 yeah in 2020 right a few months after the pandemic hit Mm, okay and i'm really curious what could you see like was it an you know was it a fast success because of COVID and how people behaved back then or 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 it wasn't as successful as you expected? <laughs>
1: no, not at all. And it was a it was a slow. I mean, I guess you could say it was relatively re- relatively quick, but the first six months or so we didn't get a single mm-hmm. sale. We had no idea how to drive traffic. We had no idea how to build a website, how to how to drive traffic to that website. But thankfully, you know, tools like Shopify and and other sites make it relatively easy to build a website. Uh, But people don't know that the stuff after the website is built is even more difficult in in driving traffic and then, you know, ultimately getting conversions and sales. Um, But for six months, we had no sales
0: at all. The hard part is not the website, right? I mean, uh, building the website it's, it's not the hard part, it's the easy part. And after exactly. selling the website, driving the right, right type of traffic, making it convert, all of that, that's uh, that's a longer process for sure. Um, so yes. yeah. this was your first attempt to launch an online business, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. We had smaller things like selling online on websites like
1: Kijiji, Craigslist, Selling belts. But you know, those are just small sales, one or two a day if you're lucky.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm curious what did uh, help you back then? Um, how did you learn selling online leather goods? Great question.
1: Um, so once the website was built, we were trying, we were going into local Facebook groups, posting there, trying to get sales like that to drive traffic. Uh, none of that was working. And then I reached out to or I started getting ads on my Facebook for an agency that would, you know, help you uh, with Facebook ads and drive traffic to your website. And that it. so I I called them, and again, we had no sales at this time. I called them, booked a booked a, a meeting. Um, then they did a deep dive on our on our business. I think it was like one thousand just to a thousand dollars just to get that dive. So we paid them. They said, "Hey, look, we like your products, we like your stuff. It looks good, but you guys have no sales. I don't think you're ready to work with us yet." That's what they basically straight up said. They're like, "Listen, go on YouTube." study on how to run Facebook ads and drive traffic. And then once you have a little bit of sales volume, come back to us. Mm-hmm. That's, that's essentially what they said. So I did do that. I went on, I studied Facebook um, ads, started running the ads for, I think we spent five or 600 bucks. We got one sale and I was so discouraged wow. and stopped again. Uh, we stopped and, uh, you know, again, back to the no sales. That was a, That was a low point
0: for sure. Mm. Was it already in uh, 2021? How much time? This uh, was
1: near. No, this was probably September 2020. 2020 September, right. October 2020. Yeah.
0: yeah. So I guess you were a bit, you know, not not as happy uh, regarding the results. But uh, what happened after? So you you followed the advice and you spent time on YouTube, or or how did you learn things? Or you just hired the another agency somehow? So so after that.
1: I actually completely switched the strategy. I went on Etsy, uh, mm. Etsy marketplace for, you know, handmade goods and I put all the leather belts on there. And again, we got no sales <laughs> cause you know, the, the SEO was not good and I was discouraged again. Uh, so one day I was at the flea market and I saw this lady just selling masks and you know, this is kind of peak pandemic, everyone's buying masks. And she was selling Toronto Maple Leafs, Toronto Raptors, like sports masks and they were just flying she was she was sold out every day so i was like you know what let me let me try selling these so i got those and i started selling those on etsy under NAB leather and the masks just started selling they were just flying like at that time you know everyone's buying masks yeah uh, so we started getting some sales however after about a month or two we got a cease and desist from the toronto maple leafs and toronto raptors They're like hey this is you can't be selling these This is our product, our trademark. Mm -hmm. And so we had to stop selling the masks. How this actually helped us was, you know, we got six or 700 sales in masks. And so we got rid of the masks. But on Etsy, it still showed uh, on the top left 600 sales. And that is a little bit of social proof. Yeah, People saw, okay, this is kind of a a trustable company. And from there, they started buying our belts, uh, even though the sales were all masked. Um, And then once they started buying the belts, they said, hey, this is a good product, leaving reviews. And we started getting consistent sales and cash flow from that.
0: Mm, very interesting. How much time passed? A few months to okay, get it? This was probably eight months after we started. Okay. So actually, you sold a different product and this yes. built social proof. And after people, they, uh, your, uh, they trust your, uh, your products and they started buying the leather goods as well. Exactly.
1: Even though it was with a different product, but this was my first kind of lesson and for or insight into how important social proof is.
0: Yeah, that that's that's a crazy story. Um, and um, so you had this social proof on Etsy, but you still had your website where it's harder. It's not. It's not on a platform. So how? What happened after? Right.
1: So now we had a little bit of capital. I wasn't scared to invest five, $600 on ads. I took a course on YouTube. Uh, it was a free course from this guy named Ecom King, who I highly recommend. Maybe you've heard of him. He's more into drop shipping, which I, I don't really like drop shipping, but you know, the, the the fundamentals are the same, how to run Facebook ads. Um, so I watched his course and I just followed exactly what he said, put in the, you know, created the audiences, put in the ads, and he was very adamant on, don't worry, the first $5,000, you're just collecting data. You're collecting data. Uh, don't worry about if you're getting minimal sales, if you're breaking even, or even if you're losing a little bit of money. And it was true. It was almost like magic. After the 5000 we had the data. We started, collect, we started making lookalike audiences, which back then in 2021 were very effective. Mm-hmm creating lookalike audiences based on, on, on the previous sales, and it just took off from there. It was, it was almost like magic to see see the, the traffic being driven and the sales coming in.
0: Yeah, I just uh, Googled the guy. I follow him on Twitter, Camille Sattar. S-Satter. That's, that's he's right. From, yeah. He's from England, and uh, yeah, I'm familiar with him, and he helps many uh, e-commerce business owners, not just dropshippers. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm happy to hear that it worked. Is uh, the strategy for you, mm-hmm. and um, so in this way you could finally get sales from your website on your on the website as well. Right, and yeah. now if anyone goes to your website, you have more than two thousand reviews. So you uh, have mm-hmm. a lot of happy customers now. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you tell us more about the products themselves?
1: Yeah, so we make all our products from full grain leather, which is. The top layer of the, of the hide, it's the strongest layer, it's the most durable layer, um, and it's the most sought-after layer because of its, um, its durability. So mm-hmm. when you make products with these, they're heirloom quality, which means they're lifetime quality. You can pass them down to your kids. Um, they're going to last forever as long as you take decent care of them. Um, mostly we sell belts because that's you know, what me and my brother grew up with. We were making them. Our parents would import them. Uh, so we had a good idea of belts. But as our business started to grow, people started asking us, hey, do you have um, other products? Do you have wallets? Do you have bags? Do you have dog collars? And so we started working with other Canadian companies that would produce uh, those because we don't really have a good idea on how to make wallets ourselves. We can, but you know, we want to produce wallets that are the same quality as our belts. So we started working with other manufacturers in Canada, collaborating with them on wallets, on bags dog collars and leashes guitar straps um and we're looking to add more things to like iphone cases leather shoes leather jackets um, mm-hmm. but that's that's for the
0: future yeah so you started also you started introducing the products of other brands as well my favorite is the guitar straps by the way i okay I, i've never seen this online. are you, line, this you a guitar player not really, uh, I, I tried when I, it was Covid, so I, I played for like six months. I wouldn't say I'm a good guitar player, but uh, just I don't know, it's just such a unique product. I have never seen this online before. so yeah,
1: yeah, it's very niche uh, and, and the, the people who, who you know really play guitar and, and they like leather goods, it's a nice cross section of them, so they love the product. yep.
0: Hey Budai Nation, welcome to the Ecom Show. I ask you to subscribe to this podcast and if you like it, make sure you share it with at least one friend. As you probably know, we don't run ads, our growth is purely organic, so it would mean the world to me if you could support us. I hope we can serve our audience in the best way. And now let's jump into the episode. I have a very specific question about uh, about this acronym. So what, what RFID is exactly.
1: Yeah, so RFID is it uh, it 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 blocks radio waves. So typically when you when you go to spend money with your card, mm-hmm. you're using something in, in the radio frequency to get that transaction across. The problem with that is that if that that people can also use radio frequencies to charge your card when you're not looking, let's say your wallet's in your pocket, they have a machine. They put the mm-hmm. same amount of money on it and just, just tap your um, tap your wallet. It'll spend without you knowing. So in some of our wallets, we have built-in RFID blockers to make sure that when the card is in your wallet, um, that, that radio frequency is blocked and you're unable to use your card.
0: Yeah, I, I never heard about it, but it's very smart. Yeah, I uh, think that's very useful indeed. Yeah, yeah, so
1: it's just, it's just a thin aluminum foil. So we put that into all of our, or not all, some of our wallets that have the RFID um, and it blocks any radio mm-hmm. frequency.
0: Yeah. So I'm curious, uh, three years after you started, you, you launched this online venture, uh, where are you now? So what are your main marketing channels? Mm-hmm. Um, you said that lookalike audiences worked very well two years ago, mm-hmm. so I guess. Nowadays, less, but also besides Facebook, what other channels do you use?
1: Yeah, so Facebook is the main channel, Instagram, so Meta, and then uh, Google uh, for for uh, Google paid for PPC. Mm-hmm. And also, we are focusing on organic search. So with, we're mm-hmm. investing in search engine optimization for Google. So those would be the three main channels. So we're a little bit on TikTok, but not active on there. Our, our client base is a little bit older too, so we're just not spending the the, uh, the effort and, and, and time on TikTok mm-hmm. just yet. Uh, yeah. We would like to get on there though. Uh, and then also focusing on YouTube now with YouTube Shorts. Uh, there's a lot of potential there uh, to educate the audience on leather mm-hmm. and people who are interested are definitely going to you know want to know how it's made mm-hmm. and then potentially purchase after that. Uh, but with your with the first part of your question, the lookalikes. So when, when I first got into Facebook ads in 21, the lookalikes, like I said, were like magic. It was amazing. This was just before iOS 14. And, you know, it was it was printing money. Every dollar you put into a lookalike, you'd get back three, four, five X ROAS.
0: Mm-hmm. Fortunately,
1: right when I got in, like four months later, iOS 14 hits and the lookalikes
0: just went without went a... Ah, okay. That's the reason. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I guess you, so if Facebook meta is still your number one, then I guess you could figure it out in a different way. Yes. Now it feels like you have to combine all the channels. So
1: someone might discover you on Facebook. We do a lot more broad targeting now, more brand awareness on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're still getting purchases from there, but you're just reaching an audience, educating them there. And then later on, they might get a targeted, a retargeted ad from Facebook or from from Google, um, or, or you know maybe they see a short later, um, and then they'll search your brand on Google, hit that. So even though they ended up buying later, they initially saw your brand from Facebook. So it's more of a um, a a combination of, of all three now.
0: So you would say the whole approach is much more omni-channel than. Than uh, three years ago, three four years ago. That's right. That's a great way to put it. Yeah, much more omni-channel. Yep. Yeah, I think uh, every gurus they talk about it, and uh, if someone is missing on this omni-channel approach, then uh, then that's a problem because this has been a trend for many years, but you know it's stronger than ever. So people they spend a very very little time on a certain, on one platform. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, they just you know they uh, browse on your website for 10 seconds and they leave next day they mm-hmm. get an ad they click and they leave and then mm-hmm. ads and then they search so yeah it's just very um, omnichannel i would say exactly so how do you use email marketing in this uh, whole experience that's a great question that's I, I don't know if you can consider it a channel, but it's very
1: important the email marketing because once you do drive traffic to your website, one of the best ways to retarget them is through email. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we collect emails, and then if there's an abandoned checkout, we have the abandoned checkout flow to, to remind them. Uh, actually, with my call with Ben last week, he mm-hmm. made me aware of uh, another type of flow. I think it was called products. View flow or something where if they've seen your flow in the and the email and they and you have their email, then you're able to just send them an email reminding them, even if they didn't add to cart.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess if they, uh, it's it's called the browser abandonment flow. I, I think that's that, the one. Yeah, browser. Yeah. Yeah. So that's something that I just learned about, which definitely
1: needs to be implemented. Um, then we also, once we do have their email, we're always you know sending them promotions. Mm-hmm. Um, Sending them upsells through emails, cross-sells, things of that nature.
0: Yeah, just a quick disclaimer. So listeners, they don't know that Neb already talked to one of our team members and we helped him to upgrade his email marketing. Mm -hmm. That's where Ben, my colleague, he mentioned this uh, flow. And yeah, the browser abandonment flow is something that is undervalued, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, it generates sometimes as much money as an abandoned car flow, which is uh, which mm-hmm. is uh, very well known in e-commerce nowadays. So mm-hmm. that's something to look into for everyone. Um, so I'm really curious uh, in this journey. What what uh, has been the toughest moment for you? Uh, it would probably be that
1: first six months. Um, mm-hmm. The first six months of just getting no sales and and you know you have you built this website and you put work into it and you think the website's beautiful you believe in your product but for some reason you're not getting sales and that that can be very discouraging um so i'm very thankful for etsy you know to 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 keep trying new things and then getting some cash flow to try new things with that um i think the lesson learned from that is just to always iterate always iterate what's not working you know change it up slightly change it up slightly and keep trying new things until something does work. but definitely that first six months was very difficult. Um, another challenge since then, and this is probably true for a lot of entrepreneurs is just staying disciplined um, and building discipline. A quote that I really like is, "The greatest enemy of tomorrow's success is today's success. you know once you get a little bit success today you 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 tend to lose a bit of discipline, you stop trying to work as hard as you as you once did
0: yeah, yeah yeah and uh yeah i think those initial months for new entrepreneurs it's it's probably the hardest i also remember mine early years and months um, and just yesterday i talked to someone who who is in that period of his life mm-hmm. and, uh, i always try to help those uh, people not just with good advice but also to motivate them a bit because I, I guess you can agree, but it's really just about surviving those months, right? Or some right. years. Yeah. Because, uh, it, nothing works, but even worse, you don't know why. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. You know, yeah. And, and so- sometimes you think that it's because of you or if people hate you, or I don't know, so it, it, it can go very deep. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it, it's a lesson for sure. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I think by time it gets better, as you know, your industry marketing, but all of that business, um, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Especially at that time where you know the ball is not rolling, there's no movement. But once you get a few small wins and you do get that ball rolling, you build momentum. It can, uh, it can, it can grow from there very quickly. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. you get the momentum exactly. Um, and have you have you gone back to that agency? I'm just curious to the Facebook ad agency. I,
1: I didn't. I didn't. After that, uh, for a while, I was just experimenting with Facebook ads because I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I was I was learning a lot, and I wanted to kind of understand it um, deeply. So I'd say for about a year, I did the Facebook ads myself. Mm-hmm. Then I went to a different agency, and uh, you know, I liked what I liked their offer. I liked what they were pitching. They were also doing. They also had a content strategy. I think I was with them for about five to six months and this was also a lesson for me agencies are not just like a magical button yeah. <laughs> they just they churn out 5x ROAS even though they market themselves like that like hey sign with us get this ROAS it's not agencies help in in many ways and in, in, you know they save you time they do have a deep knowledge of how to run the ads uh, and I think that's what primarily they should be used for and if they're able to increase your ROAS even a little bit on higher on higher spends, then then they're worth the money. Um, but that first agency and a couple agencies after that I've been burned by. Uh, I didn't have good experiences with them. But also I didn't have the right expectations. You know, I I did just think, okay, if I work with these guys, boom, magical five X ROAS.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, many agencies they promise too much and they under deliver. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the agency business is something that it's relatively easy to start, even easier than e-commerce. Mm-hmm. You don't even have to spend five hundred bucks on ads. You mm-hmm. just send cold emails or or, or LinkedIn whatever. Right. That's One catch. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh, and I think if you know someone uh, promises too much, it doesn't sound real or or uh, it sounds. Uh, too promising, than it is, then it's, yeah. it's just, you know, it's a scam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's
1: not to say there's not good agencies out there. It's just, you know, manage your expectations and know no, what no yeah, yeah. an agency is good for. They'll, they will probably increase your royals a little bit and they'll save you a ton of time. I think that's. Yeah. Uh, and that's
0: the other good. thing is it also requires work from the client side. I think many people, they yeah. underestimate that. Mm-hmm. And, for example in my agency we constantly think about how we could do less work for the client because that's not why they pay us but still we need access we need a logo you know we need certain things to get mm-hmm. and get mm-hmm. approval sometimes so i think many business owners they underestimate those as well for sure yep yeah, that's something I, I
1: definitely picked up on as well um, because the agency doesn't really they know how to run ads. What they don't know are your brand values. They don't know what your messaging is, which is very important when running ads, right? To convey your message and value to your customer, which is ultimately why they'll buy from you mm-hmm. can be lost in, in, the, in the agency process.
0: Yeah, 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 So if you, if yeah, so what would be our, let's say top three software tools that you've used so far?
1: Sure, number one is probably Clavio. Uh, like we're not counting Shopify, as right? as the tool so Klaviyo for sure integrates easily with Shopify. You can run all types of flows. They for the value, you know, you're paying a few hundred bucks a month, but they bring back so much retention. And uh, if you have the abandoned cart flows plus retargeting them after selling them, cross sells, upsells, all that, Klaviyo for the value is incredible. Mm-hmm. Number two is Luke's. This is a tool, an uh, in integration with Shopify, which collects reviews. We talked earlier about how important social proof is, and uh, that's been huge for, for my business where we'll send them an email asking them for a review and then 20% discount on their next purchase if they leave a picture, mm-hmm. which you know, is, like, is, a, uh, is a two-edged sword where you get the review and you also get a second purchase because you offer them the discount. Yeah, uh, and then when people leave these pictures, other customers see you know how are they styling the belts, how does it look on them, plus just the, you know they said it's a good product, so it, it leaves that social proof and ultimately helps them convert.
0: Yeah, I, that was two, right?
1: So Clivia oh, Luke's, Clivia Luke's. What else are we using? Um, oh, the uh, this is something we started using just a few months ago, and I'm I'm so sad I didn't use it earlier. Is a post purchase upsell app for shopify
0: okay what is that called
1: that's called after sell so once the customer completes a purchase they're on the thank you page and you can recommend them products there and with just one click they can add it to the same order so it won't be a separate order it'll be Mm -hmm. added to the same order uh and that increases order value saves you on shipping you know you're shipping it in the same Mm -hmm. uh package and that's been huge because you offer them a, you know, discount 15, 20% on, and you, you put a little timer, like, Hey, just right now, accept this offer, get 20% off on, on this, and add it to your order. So that's something I I wish I'd added years ago, but, you know, just added a few months ago, and it's a great way to increase order value.
0: Yeah. I think, uh, selling on the thank you page is, is one of the biggest boosters for conversion rates mm-hmm. and, uh, after sale. I've never tried that one. I can recommend another one that I tried. It's called Reconvert. Reconvert? Um, Reconvert, yeah. yeah. Okay. So yeah, I recommend that one, but I guess the the main thing is the same here. So you can uh, add extra products there and build urgency, as you said, and uh, sometimes even a thank you video. So There are different ways to tweak your thank you page and uh, Yep. You can boost your revenue very fast so yeah, yeah. yeah. I know that uh, reconvert we will definitely check the check them out as well yeah I will do the same with after sale actually I haven't <laughs> tried that yeah so thanks a lot um, Neb sharing your story today I, I really like the, the story that you shared the last three years thanks everyone who uh, who is watching the live stream or uh, those who will listen to the podcast later and uh, stay tuned because every week we come out with a new episode. If anyone wants to find uh, these great leather products, go to nebleather.com and we will put the domain link into the description so everyone can find these. Also, I will put a uh, 50-point checklist, free free checklist for everyone and you can use it to audit your own e-commerce email marketing. And uh, thanks a lot again, uh, Nav and everyone, and uh, have a great day.